Robert Brown, John Smith, George Fox, Thomas Cartwright. Anyone heard of any of those? If Lyndon was here, he would be biting my, uh, my hand off. Um, but all of them are people who started denominations in the UK. Congregationalist, Baptist, Quaker, and Thomas Cartwright is reputed to be the first Presbyterian uh, in England. We might have sort of vaguely heard of them if we're into church history, but we've all heard of John Wesley. He left an indelible mark on the UK, indeed on the world, even down to place names. Most towns and cities, certainly in the north, have something along the lines of a Wesley Street. Otley does. Uh, Ilkley doesn't, but Addingham does, as does Silston. Um, Otley has plaques commemorating John Wesley's visits to the area. And if you think about it, there's nothing close to that for any other Christian leader. I believe at one point or another there have been at least seven separate Methodist congregations in Otley. John Wesley, like him or loathe him, made an impact. He changed the face of English and American Christianity. And for that reason we're looking at him this evening. So first of all, his life. Oh, there you go, there's John Wesley. There is life. Now, his life story, again, is famous compared with other figures that we've looked at. John Wesley was born on the 28th of June, 1703, in Epworth, northwest of Lincoln. He was one of, uh, well, he was the 15th child of Samuel Wesley and his wife, Susanna Wesley. And Samuel Wesley was a rector at Epworth. Susanna was the daughter of a Presbyterian minister, so he sort of had uh, Christianity in the family. John went to Oxford University, and at Oxford, he and his brother Charles formed the Holy Club, a society formed for the purpose of study and pursuit of a devout Christian life. Another famous member is George Whitfield, uh, who we'll look at uh, next time when we're doing a bit of church uh, history. He's another prominent Methodist. This group met daily from 6 in the morning until 9 in the morning for prayers, psalms, and reading the New Testament in Greek. They prayed every waking hour for several minutes every day. So they sort of stopped and would pray for a few minutes and then carry on. They fasted on Wednesdays and on Fridays until tea time. But at this point, if you talk to a Wesley afterwards, he would tell you that he wasn't a believer. Actually, it's very similar to some of the stuff we've been seeing in Galatians and things, isn't it? But Wesley then went on to be a minister. He went uh, to be a missionary uh, in Savannah in Georgia in the United States. And uh, it was a fruitless ministry. Nothing really happened while he was out there. Wesley kept a journal for most of his life. And then he wrote at that time, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? There, though, he did meet a group of Moravian Christians who influenced him profoundly. Moravians were the descendants of the proto-Protestant group, the Hussites. We didn't get a chance to look at them, uh, but they were followers of Jan Hus. Uh, who lived in what's now the Czech Republic. Wesley returned to England and joined a religious society, a society led by Moravian Christians, who was that sort of impacted by that. At this point, he's in London. And during one of those meetings, uh, in 1738, on Aldersgate in London, somebody was reading out loud from Martin Luther's preface to the commentary on Romans. That's why we have Romans uh, read just before. And uh, imagine that was an interesting thing where somebody's reading a commentary. Not even the commentary, the practice of the commentary. But this is what Wesley wrote in his journal on hearing that. He said, In the evening I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street, 
where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. An assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Wesley had been converted, Wesley had become a Christian. And Wesley went then uh, to Saxony, where he met more Moravians who were based there and saw their communal life. When he came back to England, he tried to organise societies along those lines that he'd seen in Germany. But pulpits in England were close to him. His friend George Whitfield from the Holy Club found a similar situation, and so he began preaching in the fields outside Bristol. Wesley followed Whitfield. It's actually Whitfield first, Gaines Linton was here, we'll tell you. Uh, Whitfield did it first, and Wesley copied and started preaching in the fields. He preached all across England and started what were now called Methodist societies within the Church of England as he went. He preached many times in Otley, uh, looking this up this week, and he had good friends who are here, that's what some of the plaques uh, are about. There's a note in his journal which I found uh, brilliant, it says at seven in the evening, I preached to an immense congregation at the foot of the high mountain near Otley. It's the Shevin, isn't it? You can preach at the foot of the Shevin. Having said that, it's not all positive about Otley. A few years later, uh, he writes, In the afternoon I went to Otley, but the town seemed to be run mad. Such noise, hurry, drunkenness, rioting, confusion. I know not where I have met with this before. It was their feast day, a feast of Bacchus or Venus or Belial. Oh, shame to a Christian country. However, both the small and great rabble were so engaged that they had no leisure to molest us, so that I preached to a large congregation under the hill with perfect quietness. Isn't that a wonderful picture? You sort of got me in rioting. Uh, I can't quite imagine what that must have been like. But yet, that meant that they were free then to carry on and preach the gospel. Oh, how things change uh, over the years. Wesley went on to be married at the age of 48 to a widow uh, named Mary, but it was an unhappy marriage. He rarely saw her after they were married. They separated, but they never divorced. She was unhappy about his constant absence and his closeness with other women. Indeed, she gave letters to his opponents that seemed to express what one might deem inappropriate affection with other women, an affection that he did not give to his wife. He wrote in his journal of his wife, I did not forsake her, I did not dismiss her, but I will not recall her. Uh, he didn't really hold a lot of affection for his wife. When Wesley died, aged 87, there were 135,000 members of Methodist societies, and there were 541 itinerant preachers going round uh, preaching. Methodists, though, at this point, weren't separate from the Church of England, and they wouldn't separate until after he died. But after he did die, they formed a plethora of denominations and built chapels all over the place. And that's one of the lovely things about Yorkshire, isn't it? You can go around and you can see an old chapel. Seemingly in the middle of nowhere, you think, how on earth did they fill these chapels? But they built them there, and many of them still stand. Even in Otley, the Shevin Community Centre, where we used to meet, was a Methodist church. Churchill's Mobility Scooters was a Methodist church. Westgate Car Park further up the hill where our fire assembly pointed, or near it, was a Methodist church. 
And a sort of continuation of Wharfdale and Otley Methodist Mission is this church. That's where we came out of, beginning back in 1916. We sort of founded from a Methodist church. The church where I became a Christian was a Methodist church. And there were four Methodist churches in my village. That just gives you an idea of the impact. Wesley's legacy lives on. So that's his sort of brief sketch of his life. What did he actually believe? Well, first of all, there's something called Wesleyan Arminianism. You're going to notice lots of these have Wesleyan before them, which I'll explain as we go through. It's well known that he, on the issue of the sovereignty of God, Wesley rejected Calvinism and embraced uh, Arminianism. If you're not sure about those terms, then come and have a word with me afterwards. I'm not got time to go into all of that now. Wesley, though, was not content with Arminius's uh, doctrine and formulated his own. Um, so that if you study doctrine in theological textbooks, they will give you two versions of Arminianism, classical and Wesleyan. Wesley believed, uh, this is a quote, there is a measure of free will which is supernaturally restored to every man, together with that supernatural light which enlightens every man that cometh into the world. He also believed that God in some measure reinscribed the law on the hearts uh, of people. And he equates that at points with the human conscience. But he believed that God has enabled people to believe in Christ. Um, and actually, if God was at work in someone's life, they could resist uh, what God was doing. And actually, if they became a Christian, he believed that they could lose their salvation and then regain it through repentance. And then lose it again, and then regain it through repentance and lose it again. Um, that was what came out of Wesley's theology. Not all Methodists, though, were Arminian. Whitfield was definitely not. So there were Calvinistic Methodist churches founded. There's indeed many in Wales, uh, where it's quite famous. And um, most of the churches, though, in England were Arminian in nature. Wesley and Whitfield disagreed greatly over this. But we're going to cover that a bit more when we look at Whitfield. Other interesting novelties from Wesley were what we call Wesleyan perfectionism. That's not the idea, he wasn't just one of those people who had to get all the commas and things in a document. That wasn't what we, we mean. What Wesley taught was that a believer could attain sinless perfection in this life. As far as I can see, he never played this for himself, but after he taught it, others in his lifetime did. Indeed, one of the earliest places was Otley uh, back in 1760. Several people claimed to have obtained Christian perfection instantaneously uh, here in Otley. And Wesley came to find out what was going on and, and, and saw these people uh, live. It was later called entire sanctification and was viewed as an experience subsequent to becoming a Christian, a sort of second blessing, so to speak, a higher Christian experience. We'll come to that in a, in a minute. But many Wesleyan denominations still hold this. Um, though a lot of others have sort of ditched the idea, having noticed that it didn't seem to last uh, for very long. Another new thing from Wesley was women preachers. So partly through his ministry, Wesley licensed several women preachers. Sarah Crosby in 1761, and then a lady called Mary Bosnkett, uh, Grace Murray, Sarah Taft, Hannah Ball, and Elizabeth Ritchie. Originally, permission was given only when they experienced an extraordinary call from God. That was his uh, quote. Uh, God granting them special permission, given the restrictions placed on them in 1 Timothy. 
But the practice became widely accepted in most Wesleyan denominations uh, when the door was open. Quakers were actually the first group um, to allow women uh, to teach at this point, but they were the only group at that point that would allow that. But Methodism really paved the way uh, for this input the denomination. Wesley's uh, Methodist society remained within the Church of England. Um, and in terms of legacy, though, um, most of them broke away and formed new churches, a plethora of, of churches and denominations. So after Wesley died, you had the Primitive Methodist Church, the Independent Methodist Church, the Free Methodist Church, the United Methodist Church, the Independent Methodist Connection, the Church of Nazarene, and all of these are direct denominations coming from these Methodist societies. But there were also subsequent offshoots, which sometimes are, are mixed. So the Salvation Army. William Booth, who started the Salvation Army, was a Methodist. And whilst there are obvious differences, it meant that his movement, the underlying theology, was that of Wesley. He mixed Methodism with a renewed emphasis on social action and the revivalism that he saw in preachers in America. Also, Pentecostalism came out of Methodism, uh, which is a surprise for some people. You don't often put those two uh, together. But Wesley's belief in obtaining perfection became associated with a sort of second blessing that allowed for another level of Christian living. And the first Pentecostals were Methodists and believed that this higher level of Christian living was accompanied by the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. Pentecostalism was established at the turn of the last century by Charles Parnham and William J. Seymour, and both of them were Methodist ministers to start with. And that explains why historically Pentecostal churches have tended to be Arminian, egalitarian, and share lots of features with Methodists. Indeed, speaking in tongues in the early days was associated with that sinless, entire sanctification that Wesley taught. Over time, that sort of became less prominent, but speaking in tongues originally was supposed to be the sign that you were sinless. The movement distanced itself from Charles Parnham, who was one of those Methodist ministers, after allegations of sexual and financial misconduct. But still, Pentecostalism uh, was a major influence in the charismatic movement of the 20th century. And again, you can feel Wesley's influence through that movement. Finally, though, there's also Keswick theology. So, uh, so-called Keswick theology follows these lines with calls to a higher experience, uh, a second level of the Christian life. It came out of the Keswick Convention, but thankfully it's no longer there. Um, but its influence, again, has spread through into other movements. So what lessons can we take from the life of Wesley? Well, let me just give you a few that I've picked out um, through uh, the weeks I've been thinking about his life. Firstly, the church needs evangelists, not just pastors. Wesley once famously said that the world was his parish. But if you think about it, in a way, Wesley had no parish. He wasn't really a vicar or a pastor, he was an evangelist. That's not a criticism, that's just an observation. He did pastor people as part of his life, but he wasn't really a pastor of a flock. In the same way pastors evangelise, but we're not evangelists, that's not how it works. But the church, I believe, needs both. In Ephesians 4, Paul writes this, Ephesians 4.11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Often in our circles we'd be quick to point out that apostles and prophets belong to a separate category and that Paul treats them as such in the letter. Foundational for the church but not ongoing. 
I know some might disagree, but let's just stick with that for now. Shepherds or pastors, we're told, belong with the teaching role. Pastor teachers, it all goes together in the, uh, the original. Great. But it does mean that the one that's overlooked often is evangelists. They don't belong to the foundation of the church, and they are put together with the pastor teacher. But they too are a gift to the church. They too are given to equip the saints for works of service. So often we overlook this position as a church. Churches need pastors, but the world needs evangelists. And Wesley was a gift in that sense to his parish, the world. Wesley preached the gospel wherever he could, at home, abroad, in churches, in open fields. I wonder what our modern day equivalent to those places would be. Second though, the church needs every member ministry. One thing that Methodism did so well in its early days was spur its members into active ministry. People would travel miles uh, to go to local villages to, to preach. There were circuits of lay preachers all over the country, and they were given opportunity to try out their gifts in all those different places. What Wesley did really well was engaging people into the mission, into the work, and his societies helped to do that. And it's a reminder that all of us are involved in the mission, everybody uh, involved in some way in the body. Thirdly, there's only four, don't worry. Thirdly, uh, following one man this theology, though, can be a recipe for disaster. Whilst there were other figures in Methodism, George Whitfield, who we'll look at next time, John Nelson from Bristol, uh, who focused on West Yorkshire, that's why you get Nelson Streets, uh, there's one again named after him, Otley has one, Ilkley has one. None were as dominant though as Wesley, and none left their mark like he did, to the point that nearly the whole movement essentially adopted his position on most things, in England certainly. And so that opened the doors to a movement that depended on the doctrinal soundness of just one man. One man who liked formulating his own versions of doctrines. One man who was an amazing evangelist, but quite a questionable systematic theologian. Movements do need people like Wesley to get them going, but we must look to the words, the Bible, uh, and not to one person to provide our doctrinal soundness. So please, please, whatever I say, Check it by scripture. Let Christ be the one that we follow. But on the positive side, finally, that does mean that one person can make a huge impact. No one can deny the impact that Wesley made. Many reputable historians suggest that his preaching may have effectively stirred England a revolution, the likes of which they saw in France around that time. But on the spiritual front, of course, too, he made a massive impact. It wasn't just one man, there were others around him, but he founded a movement that has seen countless thousands, hundreds of thousands across the world saved. His impact was felt around the globe. And I say that to encourage us. We may sometimes feel like we're just labouring away and that we're making little difference. But we don't know, do we? We don't know how God will use what we're doing. And when God chooses to use someone, he can do incredible things. Like he did through this man, John Wesley, 15th child of their parents, and yet used them to make an incredible difference to Britain and the rest of the world too. So let's pray and give thanks for what he's done, and I'll give thanks for the food as well. Father God, thank you for the life of John Wesley. Father, thank you for the countless thousands of people who have been impacted through his preaching and through those he trained to preach and through the movements that he started. Father, thank you that there are people uh, in the kingdom, humanly speaking, 
uh, who would not have been there without uh, the preaching of this man. So Father, help us to be thankful to you for what you did through him. Father, help us to look for the good things that he did and emulate them the way that he was like Christ. And Father, we thank you for the good things that you give us, Father. Thank you for this good food that we're going to enjoy now. We ask it uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.